All right, praises be to our loving Abba that we're able to gather once again to study the commandments of our Father. So our, our topic for today is connected somewhat to what we have been uncovering so far, the study of the book of Revelation concerning the two witnesses. Our study of the two witnesses has prompted one of our viewers to ask the following questions, and this is related to the two witnesses and the transfiguration of Mashiach. And so the questions that we're going to be answering today. Shalom. I don't have to be, uh, I don't know how to begin my question, Paul, but here it is. I am now convinced that the two witnesses are not two groups, but two people. I'm completely baffled and mystified about their characters. In the two witnesses lesson, you mentioned, Paul, Revelation 11. There, uh, these are two olive trees and two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. Uh, these have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. And then from Revelation 11, which describes the two witnesses who are to come, comes forth the questions posed here. Number one, are the two witnesses connected to the transfiguration of Christ? Number two, if they are not connected, why did they, Moses and Elijah, appear with Yahusha on the high mountain and they did not talk about this to anyone? I wonder what they talked about with Lord Yahusha. Number three, if they are, are they going to come in the spirit of Moses and Elijah, just like Elijah to John the Baptist, but no one will recognize him, them again, I mean using different people, or are they going to come as they are, as Moses and Elijah themselves. Some say it's Enoch and Elijah because both of them did not die and both were taken to heaven. So these are very relevant, very interesting uh, questions concerning the two witnesses and the transfiguration. So let's go first with question number one. Are the two witnesses uh, connected to the transfiguration of Christ? To answer that question, we need to first go to the transfiguration of Mashiach. I believe we discussed this before, but let's go back to Matthew 17, 1, and this is what it says. Now, after six days, Yahusha took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. So what we have here is after six days, Yahusha takes the people who are closest to him. So we can probably say they are the people whom he trusted the most, the people whom he relied to the most, and they are Peter, James, and John, his brother, and Yahusha takes them to a high mountain by themselves. So they're just, they're just the three of them, uh, plus Yahusha, of course. So that makes four, and this took place after six days. So this is probably the seventh day, okay? And it, I bring that up because... We want to reconcile how many days um, it, it was when this event took place, because in Luke 9, 28, it says, now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, that he took Peter, John, and James, and went up on the mountain to pray. So we have two different versions of the same event, one described by uh, Matthew, the other one described by Luke. The one described by Matthew, it says, after eight after six days right and here it says now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings he took peter james uh, john and james and went up on the mountain to pray so there are those who say there's a contradiction right there in the holy scriptures however there's no contradiction because in, in matthew it says after six days which would make it about the seventh day right and here it says about eight days after these sayings and the phraseology uh, about eight days denotes a week. And so there's a week that passes by uh, in the, before this event takes place. And the starting point, which is significant, from which this countdown begins, is depicted by Luke when he said about eight days after these sayings. So apparently... There was a saying or revelation of our King Yahusha, a major revelation of our King Yahusha. And after this big major revelation, the apostles, the disciples had about a week to kind of brood over it, to kind of reflect upon it, kind of think about it. 
And so it was an important set of sayings, an important revelation of our King Yahusha, which is connected to the transfiguration. So what was revealed by our King Yahusha, which the disciples were pondering for, for about a week, and which required the transfiguration to kind of confirm these events. So for us to answer the question, we read about the transfiguration in Matthew 17. Let's talk about what was spoken, what was revealed by Yahushua uh, before the transfiguration took place. And so we go now to Matthew 16, 13 or 14. This is what happened. This was the conversation between Yahushua and his disciples. When Yahushua came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, why who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And so the major conversation around Yahusha at this time is, who is this preacher from Nazareth who is preaching and, and doing all these miracles? And so there were different speculations. Some say he's... Uh, the John the Baptist, some say he's Elijah, and some say he's Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he turns to his disciples and asks them in verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Yahushua answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So according to our King Yahushua, when Apostle Peter responds and says to Yahushua that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Yahushua says this revelation did not come from flesh and blood. This came from who? Yeah, it came from Yahuwah Abba from heaven. And so this tells us this important revelation that was spoken of by the Apostle Peter is major and transformative because Yahushua is not just John the Baptist, is not just Elijah, who would be the forerunner to Mashiach. He is the Mashiach himself, right? He is the Christ, the son of the living God. And after uh, speaking this out of faith, what does Yahushua also say uh, to Apostle Peter? 18 to 20. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Yahushua, the Christ. And so after this great revelation that was spoken by the Apostle Peter. What does Yahushua say concerning Peter? He says, upon this rock, Peter, I will build my church. And so he recognizes Peter to be a speaker of truth by faith. And because of this, he says, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, what are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? Well, it allows you to bind so that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, there are some who take this passage and make the conclusion that Apostle Peter is the head or is the rock upon which the church is built, and that the Apostle Peter is the one who allows people to enter the kingdom of heaven or to shut them out from the kingdom of heaven. And so he has the keys to the kingdom of heaven and the keys uh, to go to hell, something like that. And this is, of course, the belief of the Catholic Church. However, when our King Yahushua says, upon this rock, I will build my church, he was speaking to himself. He is the foundation stone upon which the assembly is going to be built. And the keys of the kingdom of heaven, that is the words of Abba, that is the proper understanding, proper interpretation of the words of Yahuwah, because when one has been given the proper interpretation and understanding of the Holy Scriptures, then whatever they bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in 
heaven. We studied this before. The binding and loosing refers to the interpretation of what is considered allowed or forbidden by the word of God in a particular context or application of the word. And so those who have the understanding of the word of God, they're able to understand what law is binding and what law is permissive concerning a certain uh, decision that the church is going to make. And so Yahushua identifies Apostle Peter as one who reveals this truth that comes from Yahuwah Abba. Now, besides Yahushua being the Christ, being the Messiah, being the Son of God, what also did our King Yahushua emphasize about himself being the Son of God? Now, we read here Matthew 16, which is the version of, of Matthew concerning what took place right before the transfiguration. Let's go to the account given by Luke. And this is what he says in Luke 9, 20 to 22. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter said, uh, Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And so Yahushua in this revelation concerning who he is, Christ, the Son of God, not only does he confirm that he is Mashiach, he's also telling his disciples, guess what? I'm going to die. But on the third day, I'm going to be raised to life. And so let the disciples kind of process that. That's a lot to take, right? I mean, they're walking with the Messiah himself. They're walking and conversing with Mashiach, the son of the living God. I don't know about you, but if I was one of those disciples walking with Yahushua, and then he discloses all of this, that's big deal, right? That's a lot to process in one day. Not only that, the fact that he says he's going to die, and then he's going to be raised on the third day, I think that's too much to process, and so Yahusha reveals this, and then he allows the disciples to kind of think about this big revelation, because that's the revelation that is what the people were wanting to know about, right? All the people during the first century, because they knew the prophecies of Scripture, the Old Testament, were primed to be fulfilled at that time. And so they knew it was time for the Mashiach to appear but they did not know for sure who that would be and what exactly he will do. Because in the mindset of many people, he's going to be like King David, a warrior, right? A ruler, and he's going to overthrow Rome. But Yahushua says, I am the son of God. I'm, just, I'm a carpenter, but I'm going to die. I'm not going to rule yet. <laughs> he's going to die. And so that's a lot to take for these disciples, that he is the son of God and that he's going to die, but be raised to life on the third day. So they had seven days to kind of think about that, kind of meditate, reflect upon that. So before the transfiguration, Yahushua confirms that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God, who must die and resurrect on the third day. This is the work of redemption. And so after the transfiguration, we go to Matthew 17. And so what does Yahushua do with his closest disciples? So after, now after six days, Yahushua took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the night. The Bible says he was transfigured. What does that mean, to be transfigured? The Greek word is metamorpho, which is where we get metamorphosis from, just like a caterpillar. And the butterfly looked different because there's a metamorphosis that takes place when the caterpillar becomes a butterfly. Metamorphosis refers to a transformation, not just simply a change, but a radical transformation, right? That's what metamorphosis means. It changed into another form to transform, to transfigure. And so how was our King Yahushua transfigured there on the mountain together with his three disciples? Again, it says his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. In the book of Luke, he says his face 
was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And when did this take place? When he prayed. So while Yahushua was praying, his appearance changed. And so what prompted this appearance change? What could that be referring to? When his face was altered, his robe became white and his face became, uh, sh became shiny and brilliant. Well, that should remind us of what happened during the days of Moses, when Moses was asked by Yahuwah to go up to the mountain, and Yahuwah gave him the tablets, right? In Exodus 34, it says, now it was. So when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. And so when Moses was on the mountain with Yahuwah, Yahuwah's glory was so intense, it kind of, uh, somehow, some way, Moses absorbed some of that glory, right? And so his face was shining, and it was shining so much who became afraid to talk to him, to come near him. Uh, Aaron and all the children of Israel, they saw he was different. This is why he was wearing a veil, because uh, the people of Israel were afraid to go near him, right? And so it seems to be that on the mountain, right, just like Moses was on the mountain, there was a close encounter between Yahuwah, Abba, and our king, Yahushua. So while he was praying, he was immersed into the presence of Yahuwah, and this was going to be a powerful testimony about who Mashiach is. And so Revelation 1, 12 to 16, uh, it, this is what the Apostle John says after Yahushua appears to him to write the book of Revelation. This is what he says. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair was like white, like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in awe, its brilliance." And so this is the glorified Christ. This is after his resurrection, ascension to heaven. This is the true nature of our King Yahushua. Apostle John gets a glimpse in his vision. And so perhaps in the transfiguration, we're getting a foretaste of the future glory of Yahushua. So Yahushua is showing the three disciples about the future of Yahushua, the future glory that is to be given unto him. So after they see the Son of Man change, what happens next? Three down to four, and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Yahushua, Lord, it is good for us to be, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And so while the disciples see Yahushua change or transform. Once they see the glory of our King Yahushua, they see two other figures, Moses and Elijah. And Moses and Elijah were talking with him, right? What were they talking about? Well, that takes us to the next question. I wonder what they talked about with Lord Yahushua. It doesn't specify Matthew. But thankfully, it is specified in Luke. And so let's go to Luke 9, 30, 31. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Yahushua. They were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. And so what were they talking about? They were basically talking about the work of redemption. They were talking about what Yahushua is going to do. He's going to die in Jerusalem, right? And after his death, he's going to resurrect and eventually ascend. And 
he will leave this world, the exodus from this world, because he came here to die. He did not come here to rule his first advent. This is speaking about the first advent of our king, Yahushua. So they're speaking about what that includes. And so the first advent of our king, Yahushua, is about him dying and then him getting buried and then resurrected on the third day and then eventually ascend to heaven, the exodus from this world. So they're speaking or conversing about the plan for redemption, the plan of Yahushua's death, burial, and resurrection, and then ascension to heaven. And so that's what they were talking about. And so while they were speaking, what happened? Let's read Matthew 17, 5 to 6. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. So while they saw Yahushua speaking with Moses and Elijah and kind of overhearing what they were talking about, there was a voice from heaven, and the voice from heaven is from a bright cloud which overshadowed them. And what did the voice say? He said, It said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased hear him. Whose voice is that speaking? That's the voice of Yahuwah, Allahim, Yahuwah, our Father in heaven. He's telling the three disciples, that man right there, he is my beloved son. Hear him. And so Yahuwah speaks about his son. And so after this, what happens next? Let's read 7 to 8. But Yahusha came and touched them and said, Arise. And do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Yahusha only. And so after they hear the voice of Yahuwah and they were afraid, Yahusha comes and touches them and says, Arise, do not be afraid. And so when they looked, what did they see? It's only Yahusha. And so this leads to the question, was what they saw reality or was it a vision? Right? What did they see? A vision? Was that a, the, the whole event? Was it a vision or was that real? I mean, was the physical Moses actually there? Was the, the physical Elijah actually there? Well, if we think about it this way, if it was the physical Moses who was there, then, and then Yahushua's having a conversation with him, it would mean that he would have been resurrected, right? Where did he go? If he, so if this was a physical appearance, an actual appearance, it would create a lot of theological problems. One of which is you're not supposed to speak to the dead, right? Moses already died and Elijah is in heaven. So did he come down from heaven? And so it presents a lot of problems theologically. And so in my personal belief, what was seen was really a vision, right? I mean, they saw an actual physical change in Yahusha, but after that change, what they saw was a vision. And why I believe that is because 17. Now, as they came down from the mountain, Yahusha commanded them saying, tell the vision. <laughs> so it says vision. Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And so here, our King Yahusha uh, tells the three, what you saw is a vision. But the vision that you saw, do not tell anyone until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And so the transfiguration of Yahushua, which includes the vision of Moses and Elijah, and of course, Yahuwah, all of that is to achieve a purpose. What is that purpose? What could it be? Well, we get a clue here in the book of 2 Corinthians 13.1. This will be the third time I am coming to you, Apostle Paul is speaking. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. And so we know from the Torah in Deuteronomy 19, there is a standing law which requires two independent witnesses to corroborate a matter. This is why during the days 
of the Old Testament, and even during the New Testament times, if a person is accused of a certain crime, there has to be two independent witnesses. And so Apostle Paul is reiterating that, and perhaps the transfiguration and its purpose is to give a testimony of two or three witnesses who will testify that Yahushua is indeed the Christ, the son of the living God. So it could be that the purpose of the transfiguration is to give testimony that Yahushua is the Christ, the son of Elohim, who will die for our sins. But and so the whole transfiguration event, we know we had Moses and Elijah. We had witnesses. How many witnesses do we need? Two or three. I believe we have three witnesses for that event, right? Moses, Elijah, who's the third? Who's the third witness? I'll give you a hint. Matthew 17, 5 down to 6. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. So who is the more, the most important testifier? <laughs> yeah, it is Yahuwah Allahim himself. And so we have here Yahuwah testifying that Yahusha is the Christ, the son of the living God. And Yahuwah permits a vision of Moses and Elijah to also testify about Yahusha. But why Moses? Why Elijah? What's the connection between Moses, Elijah, and our king, Yahushua? Well, when you think about Moses, when he was called, right, what happened? It was the birth of a nation. Through Moses, these people related to Joseph and Jacob in Israel, they became a people because Yahuwah created a covenant with them through Moses, who was the mediator of that covenant. So through Moses, Yahuwah establishes Israel as a nation. Elijah represents the restoration of Israel because we know uh, Elijah was sent during the time when the kingdom was divided and the people of Israel, the tribe of the, the kingdom of Israel, it was in great apostasy led by Ahab and Jezebel. And so Elijah represented the restoration of Israel. So Moses is about establishing Israel as a nation. Elijah is about the restoration of Israel. And so these works represented by Moses and Elijah, we know will be very significant and very relevant in the end times. Now, is there a connection between the two witnesses and the transfiguration? We know the transfiguration is about connecting Moses and Elijah in the work of Yahusha in the future. Why do we believe that? Because after the transfiguration, this is what Yahusha answers when his disciples ask him about Elijah. In the book of Matthew 17, uh, 10 to 13, again, this is what happened after the transfiguration, after Yahusha appears to them by himself after the vision, okay? And his disciples asked him saying, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Yahusha answered and said to them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has already come and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the son of man is also about to suffer at your hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. And so when the disciples, because they saw a vision of prophet Elijah and then Elijah leaves because the vision is no more. And so they asked, our king Yahushua, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Yahushua says, indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. This is in reference to a prophecy in Malachi 4, 5, 2, 6, which we studied before when we talked about the third Elijah, right, in one of our BQA. So please refer to that lesson so we can get an in-depth study of uh, that prophecy in Malachi 4, 5 to 6. Verse 12, he says, but I say to you that Elijah has come already. And so our King Yahushua says, yes, Elijah is going to come and he will restore all things. 
But I also tell, I say to you that Elijah has come already. And when Yahushua said that, immediately they understood what he was talking about. He was referring to who? In verse 13, then the, the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. So clearly, John the Baptist fulfilled, at least in part, the prophecy concerning the restoration of Yisrael or Israel. Now, what does it mean that John the Baptist is Elijah? We know he's not the physical or literal Elijah. What then does it mean that John the Baptist is the one being spoken of when Yahushua says, Elijah has already come? Luke 1, 16 and 17, many of the people of Israel will, will he bring back to Yahuwah their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so what we read to you there is a prophecy about what John the Baptist will do. He's going to bring back many people to Yahuwah. And he will be in the spirit and power of Elijah. He's not physically Elijah. He's not the actual Elijah. He will come in the power in the spirit of Elijah. We talked more a lot about this in our BQA concerning the uh, third Elijah. So please refer to the BQA episode concerning that study. And so Yahusha, uh, the Bible confirms that Elijah, the spirit and power of Elijah was fulfilled by John the Baptist. However, when John the Baptist was inquired about whether or not he's Elijah, what does he say? In John 1, 19 and 23, now this is the testimony of John when the Jews uh, sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? What did he say? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of Yahuwah, as the prophet Isaiah said. And so John the Baptist was referring to the prophecy in Isaiah, which he says he fulfilled because he preached in preparation for the coming Messiah. In other words, he, pre he prepared the Messiah, not only by preaching about him, but also by baptizing him. Remember, John the Baptist baptized him. So he fulfilled Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. However, when he was asked, are you Elijah? He says, no, but Yahushua says, yes, in Matthew 11, uh, 11 to 15, assuredly I say to you, among those born of women, uh, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent taken by force for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is. Elijah, who is to come, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So according to our King Yahushua, Elijah, being the fulfillment of Malachi, bringing the kingdom, was partially fulfilled by John the Baptist. By those who are willing to receive his message, because by receiving the message of John the Baptist, they also received the message of Yahushua. And by doing so, then they become parts of the kingdom. You see, when our king Yahusha was on earth and he preached the gospel and he died and resurrected, the kingdom was set up. There's already a kingdom. That kingdom needs to be filled with people. And so that's the work ever since Yahusha ascended to heaven, right? This is why when in the vision, Yahusha speaking to Moses and Elijah, he, they were speaking about establishing the kingdom and then leaving departing from the earth and then from there the work of filling up that kingdom the kingdom is already at hand when our king Yahushua was here and it was set up when Yahushua died and resurrected and so those who accepted Elijah then they uh, those who accepted John the Baptist then for them he would be indeed the fulfillment of John 
the Baptists. However, it's we know what happened. What happened to the Israelites? They did not accept Messiah. Only a remnant accepted Messiah. The whole, the rest, the bulk, the core of Israel, they rejected the Messiah. And so Malachi 4, 5 to 6 is awaiting fulfillment, complete fulfillment. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of Yahuwah. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Remember, this is what was cited in the book of Luke, describing John the Baptist as the fulfillment of this prophecy. But it was only fulfilled in part, and it will be completed before the coming of the great and dreadful day of Yahuwah. So John the Baptist harshly fulfilled the work of restoration described in 4, 5, 2, 6. So if it's only partially fulfilled, what does that mean? It awaits future and final fulfillment. There's going to be the spirit of Elijah and also the spirit of Moses, right? And when will that be fulfilled? Uh -huh. Revelation 11, 3 down to 6. And I will give you power. And I will give power to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone, anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of the prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. And so here we have two witnesses. The question that we ask is, is there a connection between the transfiguration event and the two witnesses? Yes, because Malachi 4, 5 to 6 has not been completely fulfilled. So there's going to be this work and spirit of Elijah that will take place before the millennium, before the advent of our king, the second advent of our king, Yahushua HaMashiach. And so we're not surprised that it mentions two witnesses, because in the transfiguration event, there were two witnesses, John the Baptist, Elijah and Moses. They were testifying about Yahushua. Here, we also have two witnesses. And if you read this account, it mentions how these two witnesses have been given power. What kind of power? Fire proceeds from their mouth. They have power to shut heaven, that no rain falls. That is, of course, connecting to Elijah, right? The fire from heaven, the power to shut heaven so that no rain falls. That's Elijah. And then power over waters to turn into blood and to strike the earth with all plagues. That is reminiscent of who? Moses who was the instrument to bring 10 plagues, including turning water into blood, when Yahuwah used Moses as the instrument to liberate the people of Israel out of Egypt. And so we have here the two witnesses bearing the characteristics of who? Moses and Elijah. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. Somehow, some way, Moses and Elijah are connected in this work of the two, witnesses. What else? What will happen to these two witnesses? Let's read what it says. When they finish their testimony, I want to pause there for a while. When we say a witness, it is someone who is able to give a testimony, right? And so to give a testimony, you preach. And so they're going to preach to give a testimony about Yahushua. When they finish their testimony, when they finish their preaching project, which will be about 1,260 days, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Okay, where is that place where the Lord was crucified? Jerusalem. Right? However, during the days of the two witnesses, how does the Bible describe Jerusalem? Like Sodom, like Egypt, 
And so it's not yet a holy city. When Yahushua died, he died in Jerusalem. Remember what Yahushua said to Peter? I'm going to be handed over in Jerusalem and be killed there. This is why when Yahushua was having a conversation with Moses and Elijah in the vision of the transfiguration, they were talking about his departure from earth because Yahushua is going to, you know, his first advent is going to die, he's going to resurrect, and then he's going to ascend, right? And then the kingdom is already set. And so what this tells us, this gives us clues that these two events are connected, right? These two events are connected together. And so Revelation 11, now after uh, the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet in great fear, fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. What does that remind you of? Remember in the transfiguration, there was also a voice from the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. Here, there's also a voice from a cloud, but the voice has come up here. And so it's giving a testimony to what was testified by the two witnesses. And this testimony was attached to a miracle because the three witness, the two witnesses resurrect and they ascend to heaven. What was the result? In the same hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. And so because of this testimony from heaven, there was a miracle and the people were afraid and gave glory to God, to the God of heaven. And so again, we see the connection between the transfiguration and also the two witnesses and what's going to transpire in that event. Now, what would this lead to when the two witnesses, which represent Moses and Elijah, what will happen when they resurrect and ascend to heaven? 1115, then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And so the two witnesses, when they appear and they preach and testify about Yahushua and the miracle is seen by many people throughout the world, it will usher in this new age. This new age will be the kingdom that will be on earth that will reign forever and ever. And so this is also connected to the conversation. Remember the conversation that Yahushua had with the two, Moses and Elijah in the transfiguration. In the conversation, we're talking about his exodus from this world. In Revelation 11, when the two witnesses are sent to heaven, it's going to talk about Yahushua's return to the earth. You see the pattern? And so transfiguration is exodus from the earth. The two, witnesses, the two witnesses and the event that follows, the return of Yahushua on the earth so that he can reign forever and ever. And so we have the pattern. So the purpose of the transfiguration is to give testimony that Yahushua is the Christ, son of Elohim, who will die for our sins to set up the kingdom. Because in the first century, the kingdom has been set up. The two witnesses will give testimony that Yahushua is a Christ to restore and establish the eternal reign of the kingdom. Because that is the connection there. This is why we believe, I believe, that the transfiguration is connected to the two witnesses. So I believe the two witnesses, the work that they will do when they testify uh, about Yahushua, it's going to bear the characteristics of the work of Moses and the work of Elijah. This is why when we study what Moses did and what he represented, and Elijah and what he did and what he represented, that work translates to the work of the two witnesses, which leads us to the set of questions uh, posed here. Um, so who's going to, who's go, who are the two witnesses? Are they two individuals who will work in the spirit of Moses and Elijah? That's one possibility. Or is it number four? Is it Moses and Elijah themselves? That is also a possibility. Or number five, could it be Enoch and Elijah? So that's also, those are also possibilities. And so we have three options 
Well, actually, there are more than three options. We'll talk to you about that later. But here, from this question, uh, the, the person asking the question presents us with three options concerning who the two witnesses are. And so well, who are they? Could be Enoch and Elijah. Could be Moses and Elijah, not Elijah. <laughs> Moses and Elijah. Or two individuals in the spirit and power of Moses and Elijah. Do you understand what we mean when we say two individuals in the spirit and power? And so when we say two individuals, it doesn't mean that they are Moses and Elijah themselves, but two different individuals. But the work is characteristic and bears the power and pattern of Moses and Elijah. So those are possibilities. Let's go ahead and test them out. For example, Enoch and Elijah. Could it be Enoch and Elijah? It could be. Okay. Any of these possibilities, it, it can happen. I'm not here being dogmatic about this. It could be Enoch and Elijah. It could be Moses. It could be two individuals. And so let's go ahead and look at each one of these. Enoch and Elijah. Could it be that they are the two witnesses? Well, this is what is the, this is the characteristic of Enoch in Jude 1, 14 to 15. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of the saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who were ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so Enoch is going to come to execute judgment, right? And when we read Revelation 11, we know that two witnesses are preaching judgment. This is why they call upon the people of the earth to repent. Otherwise, they will be judged. And so Enoch is also indicative of preaching judgment. Not only that, Elijah also. Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, As Yahuwah, God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be no, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. And so throughout the scriptures, <laughs> We know that Elijah was a thorn in the flesh in the life of Ahab and Jezebel right, because he preached judgment against them. And so both Elijah and Enoch, similar to the two witnesses, are going to bring judgment and bring upon themselves the hatred of the world. And what also does Enoch and Elijah have in common? This is what the Bible says about Enoch. Uh, altogether, in Genesis 5, 23 to 24, Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him away. And so there is no indication that Enoch died. Because in Genesis 5, in the genealogy that was given, every single one of the, the people in Genesis 5 eventually died. Adam lived this, how, this long, and then he died. Right? And then Enosh lived this long and died. Noah lived this long and then died. And then when it came to Enoch, he lived 365 years, but there's no mention of his death. And the Bible says, then he was no more because God took him away. Uh, some say Yahuwah took him to heaven. That could be. Or he took him somewhere else. <laughs> we don't know. Maybe he's somewhere here on earth. Right? At any rate, he did not die. So Enoch does not die, right? Same thing with Elijah. Then it happened as they continued on and taught that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And so Enoch, who preached judgment, did not die. Elijah, who preached judgment, did not die. And so when we look at the spirit and power of their preaching, and of their lives, they pass. They could be the two witnesses. And why are many believing that it should be Enoch and Elijah? Because of Hebrews 9.27. It says, and just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. Bible says everyone should die. Because everyone committed sin. Everyone should die. It's been destined or appointed for men to die once. And so Elijah and Enoch, they haven't died yet, <laughs> right? I mean, Yahushua, even Yahushua died. I mean, why would Enoch and Elijah be the only two who did not die? And so it would break this command. Each person must 
died. So that's a possibility. It could be Elijah, it could be Enoch, but also it presents a theological dilemma. What is a theological dilemma? Well, well, we don't know for sure if Enoch is in heaven, right? But we know Elijah is in heaven. If Elijah is in heaven, well, what had to happen in his body? It had to be what? Transformed. Because no flesh and blood can dwell in heaven. So he had to be changed. And if his body changed, what kind of body would that be? Oh, it's immortal. Then if he's the two witness, one of the two witnesses, how can he die? <laughs> right? How can he die for three days? His body is immortal. And so that would be a the theological dilemma. So maybe it's not Enoch. Maybe it's not Elijah. Maybe it could be someone else. So let's test Moses and Elijah. Could it be Moses and Elijah? Could it be the actual people, Moses and Elijah? Well, let's look at the, uh, how the two witnesses are described. One of them is described as fire proceeding from their mouth and devouring the enemies. So fire proceeds from the mouth and devouring their enemies and have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls. Uh, this is what it says in 2 Kings 1.12 about Elijah. So Elijah answered and said to them, if I, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. And so this describes Revelation 11, which, is, which says of those who contended against two witnesses, fire came out of their mouth and consumed them, right? And so this is reflective of Elijah, the prophet who had power, to, who had the power to, to, for, to produce fire to consume the enemies. And how about controlling the weather or controlling rain? James 5, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And so the description of one of the two witnesses in Revelation 11 fits the pattern of the prophet Elijah, right? Okay, well, how about Moses? Well, in the two witnesses description, it says, they will have power over waters to turn them to blood and strike the earth with all plagues. In Exodus 7, 20, 21, and Moses and Aaron did so just as Jehovah commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank and the Egyptians could not drink uh, the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. So these was this was one of the 10 plagues that Moses brought upon Egypt. And so Moses and what he did, the, the river turning into blood and the plagues against Egypt, that was fulfilled. I mean, th that also is indicative of one of the two witnesses. And so it's possible that Moses and Elijah would be the two witnesses. But then again, there will be theological problems. First of all, Moses is going to have to die twice <laughs> because he's already dead, right? And so if he's going to be resurrected, he's going to die again and then resurrected again. So he'd be, he'd be dying twice and be resurrected twice. Now, perhaps that's not a problem with our father Yahuwah, right? I mean, exception to the rule. But it, it would also present a problem for Elijah, like what we said, um, uh, if Elijah was from heaven and he had to die, then what would happen to his body? Would it be transformed for him to go to heaven and then transformed again back to his uh, mortal body when he becomes a second one of the two witnesses? And so there's a lot of questions behind that. And also the fact that each person is destined to die only once. You know what, Moses, why is Moses going to die twice? Only once. Okay, so that's a big problem for believing that Moses and Elijah, or the actual Moses and Elijah, are the two witnesses who are going to appear. So this leaves us with the last one, two individuals in the spirit and power of Moses and Elijah. Could that be possible? Yeah. Why? Because there's precedence for that. It already happened. When did it already happen? Remember Malachi? 446, remember the teachings of my servant Moses, the laws and commands which I 
gave him at Mount Sinai for all the people of Israel to obey. But, because, but before the great and terrible day of Yahuwah comes, I will send you the prophet Elijah. He will bring fathers and children together again. Otherwise, I would have to come. I would have to come and destroy your country. And so according to this prophecy, there's going to be a great day of Yahuwah, which we know is the second advent of our King Yahusha. Before that day happens, there's going to be a restoration in the spirit of Moses and the spirit of Elijah. And when it comes to Elijah, it says, I will send you the prophet Elijah. Does it mean that Elijah himself is going to come to carry out the work of the two witnesses? Well, it says in verse 6, he will bring fathers and children together. Otherwise, I would have, I would have to come and destroy your country. And so it tells us, we get, we, we get a clue as to how this prophecy can take place. And according to the book of Luke, 1, 16 to 17, many of the people of Israel will he bring back to Yahuwah their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so here, which is applied to John the Baptist, it says it's fulfillment of Malachi 4, 5 to 6, because 5 is about Elijah, 6 is about turning the hearts of the fathers to their children or restoration. And this was said to be fulfilled with who? John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist was fulfillment of Malachi 4, 5 to 6, not in person. It doesn't mean that John the Baptist was Elijah. It means the work of John the Baptist was in the spirit and power of Elijah. And so this tells us that there's a strong possibility that the two witnesses are two individuals in the spirit and power of Moses and Elijah. So, so far, I mean, I don't see any theological issues with that position. With Enoch and Elijah, there's a theological problem. With Moses and Elijah, there's also a theological problem. Two individuals in the spirit and power, in the spirit and power of Moses and Elijah, I don't see a theological problem. So I believe it is two individuals in the spirit and power of Moses and Elijah. However, having said that, is it possible that's Enoch and Elijah? Yeah. Is it possible it's Moses and Elijah? Yeah. Is it also possible it's two different individuals? Yeah. And then one of our members in the assembly sent me a, a letter, which is what we're going to discuss in future studies in the BQA, who suggested that the two witnesses represent two groups of people, Judah and Israel. And it's fascinating. This is why I want to take some time in a future episode to discuss the possibility that the two witnesses could be two groups of people, Judah and Israel. How can that be? We'll find out. Not today, but in our future BQA. But what is important to know is whoever the two witnesses are, we need to know the pattern and we need to know what we ought to be doing so that when the two witnesses begin their ministry, we will be in the same spirit, not against the spirit of the Elijah that is to come, the Moses that is to come. And so Romans 11, 1 to 5, I ask then that God reject his people by no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appeared to God against Israel? Yahuwah, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they're trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have served for myself 7,000 who have not bowed to the knee to, bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant. There's a remnant chosen by grace what we find in romans is the pattern of a remnant being set apart by yahuwah who will represent proper worship of yahuwah proper worship of god our almighty Elohim. and so apostle paul connects this event to the time 
of Elijah, the Tishbite, when he was here on earth, when he was prophesying to the tribe or to the kingdom of Israel. And what did he say to Israel? What did he believe about Israel? That Baal worship consumed the entirety of Israel to the point that through the leadership of Ahab and Jezebel, there was no person left who believed in Yahuwah and worshiped Yahuwah. That he was the only one left. But then Yahuwah says, no. Yahuwah said, apart how many? 7,000. There was a remnant left. And so what we believe is, even during our time, before Elijah would be sent, before the two witnesses would be sent, there's already going to be a remnant. And this remnant will benefit from the work of the two witnesses. There's this connection between that small remnant that is left and the work of the two witnesses. And what, will they work, what work will they be doing? Well, it will be according to the spirit of the third Elijah, which we discuss in Malachi 4. He will come in the spirit and power of Elijah. He will appear immediately prior to the great day of Yahuwah. He will appear during a time of great apostasy. His work involves restoring Israel. His work involves proclaiming the name Yahuwah. His work involves proclaiming Yahuwah is the only true Elohim. And his work involves restoring the Ten Commandments. This is why when we prepare for the time when the two witnesses are going to be testifying, we need to be in line with the spirit of Elijah. We need to be preaching about the name Yahuwah. We need to be preaching about the Ten Commandments and restoring the Ten Commandments. By the way, you know the Jewish people? The Jewish people... Uh, who or those who claim to be Jews, they're in Israel. According to the Jewish religion, they're waiting for Elijah. And you know what they believe Elijah is going to do? They believe Elijah is going to identify who the true Israelites are, number one. And number two, restore the name of the true Elohim. That's what is believed. And where do they get that? They get that from Malachi. You see, Malachi tells us that the work of Elijah the spirit of Elijah is to identify the people of Israel, Israel, the true people of Israel, right? And then reveal the name of Yahuwah and proclaim it. And so in preparation for that, this is what we're going to do. We're going to be in line. We're going to be in line with the spirit that is described in Malachi, the spirit of the third Elijah. And so while we're waiting what must we busy ourselves doing? The last passage of our studies, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so between now and the time Yahushua returns, our duty is to use the power given to us to become witnesses. We should not be waiting for the two witnesses. We have to be witnesses ourselves. What does it mean that we are to be witnesses? We are to tell people about Yahushua, about who he is, what he has done, about salvation, how it is in him and in him alone. And so we are to bring people into fellowship with our King Yahushua, that they can also be embraced by the power of salvation. That's our work that we need to focus on. I mean, it's good, you know, to kind of look into and speculate and kind of wait for the coming of the two witnesses. But brethren, the, the, these prophecies and these passages of scripture are given to us so that we will sit on our laurels and wait for them to be fulfilled. But so that while we're waiting for them, we are actively engaged in sharing our faith, which is to testify about our king. Yahusha. This is why we need to be trained to do that. We need to learn how to do that effectively because it's our main duty. And so we have our discipleship training program that we're going to be launching. Our first class will be this coming Sunday, uh, December, uh, <laughs> February. Uh, is it the 5th? The 5th. Okay, hopefully many of us can join. Uh, that is our lesson for tonight. Let us all stand for our closing prayer. Almighty and loving Abba Yahuwah, thank you so much, gracious Abba, for the blessing that you have given us. Thank you, because we know, despite what is happening throughout the world, there's something we can look forward to. 
the witnessing of your two witnesses, but most especially the sound of the trumpet that will bring us unto yourself through your son, Yahusha, that we can be where you are at. Father, as we wait, may we not be passive. Rather, may we be active in our faith. May you see us engage and fully involved in sharing our faith, in testifying about you to the people we love. Our King Yahushua, may you increase our faith. We want to be like you. May you teach us what we need to do. You know the contents of our hearts. We want so much that our loved ones be included among those who will be caught up together with you in the clouds at the sound of that final trumpet. Our King Yahushua, before you descend from heaven, may you please bless each and every one of us, including our loved ones, that all of us will be included among those who will be harpazo. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. You have blessed each and every one of us tonight. For we ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen.